Welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Klepa, and it is another episode of the Effort Weekly with the crew from NC Fit, Matt DeLaValle, and Gabe Giannis. We dive into a bunch of cool subjects today, including the Rogue Invitational, Can Fitness Become a Mainstream Sport? Should the sport of fitness incorporate combat sports at all? And can a top-level coach at the CrossFit Games have more than one athlete? I was particularly interested in that conversation, which we dive deep into today. Now, before we get into the episode, quick ask. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. It helps us out a ton. I would appreciate if you could just take five, ten seconds out of your day to leave us a rating, leave us a review, so we can find out what are you liking about these episodes and where should we lean into more. Secondly, if you're a gym owner, if you're a coach, and you haven't checked out the NC Fit Collective, it is all the tools that we use at our locations. We're now sharing them with you. That's our session plans, our programming, all of our business tools. They're all available to you. Make sure you check out the NC Fit Collective if you're a gym owner. But without any further ado, let's dive into an incredible episode with Gabe Yanez and Matt De La Valle. Let's go. <laughs> All right, another sesh with the boys here coming off a fun weekend in Austin. Any of you can make the trip, but Jay, you got to throw down at the Rogue Invitational. We spent a few days in Austin. I thought it was a really cool event. It's, I think it's the first time, I mean, the first time that I can remember that I've been to like a big, you know, CrossFit event and kind of been as a spectator. So it was cool for me, but let, let, let me get your hot take first. So the legends event how, how was it how was the weekend well in preparation you know uh, a couple of years ago i think it was what 2019 was the last time they had um the legends category and, and the first time the the last and the first time right yeah and uh in preparation for that they didn't really tell us much and so i think there was about maybe 14 people invited give or take and um the way they invite people it's kind of still a little subjective I don't, I don't know exactly how they invite people but Essentially, everybody that's invited in the legends category has made some type of impact on the sport of fitness or CrossFit. And um, we actually had like a legitimate competition. I mean, what, what we had maybe, uh, I think it was like two events a day for three days. And um, it was a really interesting experience. I trained decent for it, uh, went out there and, and, you know, I thought performed pretty well. This year, I was expecting something relatively similar, but a little bit different because of the way they positioned it in the email. So couple of years ago, they positioned as like, Hey, we're going to have a legends competition to showcase you guys. This year was like, Hey, we're going to, we're not going to have a winner per se, but we're going to basically showcase you guys and highlight you. And so I was expecting to be competing as an individual, uh, in events, but because Sunday was Halloween, I knew I was going to come home early. So I knew I wasn't going to compete in all the events and I was okay with that. I still wanted to go out there and have fun. That being said, a couple of days before the rogue invitational, they announced that it was going to be in pairs. So this year was in pairs. Um, I thought it was cool. I don't think they're going to do it like that again, but I thought it was cool. Um, yeah. Did you keep the same partner the entire time? You can tell how much I paid attention to what was going on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the answer is no. Uh, uh, the first event was uh, male, male, male. Uh, but even in that case, there wasn't enough male, female, male, male partners. Mm. So there was one group of male, female. Then the second event was male, female. And in that case, there wasn't the same number. So there was one male, male group. And then on Sunday, uh, I don't know exactly what they ended up doing uh, because quite a few of us left to go get back home for uh, Halloween with the kids. But yes, there were different partners. 
Gotcha. So it was more like a kind of like an exhibition showcase type of event than uh, cause two years ago at Columbus, Ohio, I remember that, that, that looked pretty legit. They put you guys a little bit more through the ringer and, you know, they definitely crowned uh, a fittest legend person, right? That's right. And I, I don't think that was the way to go. And I don't know if this was the way to go. I think they're going to find some type of new way next year. Meaning I don't think a couple of years ago is the right way to kind of crown a legends champion. So for, for the, um, for clarity's sake, I won the event, but like, you'll never hear <laughs> for me clarity's sake, <laughs> but you'll never hear me say that. I mean, I just did right now, obviously, but 2019 I, legends champion. Yeah, yeah. Like that's not like something I boast about because it wasn't the heart of what we were doing. We were going out there to showcase that you could still be fit to whatever, but it wasn't to like go out there and win and dominate. And, um, and so this, I thought did a good job of kind of keeping it low key and keeping the legends inspired to come back out next year. I think what they might do next year, this is just my hunch is, do you guys remember the rogue again, faster throwdown from years and years ago? Yes. I think it might be something like that where you have like team of seven, team of seven, they do legitimate events throughout the weekend. And then one team wins because then there's a little bit more of like a legitimate competition spirit to it um, versus like a randomized approach. Yeah. That was back in 2019. 2018 no. Uh, uh, no, no, no 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 like 2009 2009 i took 10 yeah, years was, i added yeah. 10 years 2008 2009 uh category um and anybody who was around at that point i think that that was hands down everybody's favorite event of all time uh, even the athletes they took you guys out to tahoe right it was at lake tahoe and there was the again faster team which had people like Pat Barber on it at the time. Rich Froning, I believe, was actually was actually was. on the again faster team. And then there was the evil empire of the rogue team over there with all the the big uh, big dogs. And you know that's where that's where you were, right? You were on the rogue side. I was. Yeah, that was a good. You know, it's so funny looking back at the rogue uh, again faster throwdown. We were in Tahoe. They rented two houses, pretty baller houses. You had the rogue house and you had the again faster house. And we'd meet up for events and Dave would just like create stuff. Like I remember one time we were just driving down the street. This is what we were in like two suburbans. We were driving down the street and there was this giant ass hill. And he goes, Hey guys, so we're gonna get out of this car. We're going to run up that hill and we're going to give points to the team based on how they, how they finish. Right. And we didn't know how far it was. We didn't know anything. And it was super steep, super aggressive. And we basically just stopped when we got to the next street. And, um, I don't even know if he knew how far it was, but, uh, that was the way the events were. They were kind of like a little bit more randomized and like, we stopped at a park and there was like a, a pull-up bar there. We ended up doing some random park workout. I think if you guys look it up on YouTube, you can probably find some of that stuff. Well, everybody was wearing innovates. Oh yeah. Either the red the blue, or the blue or the, black. or the black. Yeah. And I also remember that that there's two moments that kind of stand out for me from that weekend i was clo real close with pat barber at the time because he was working at again faster with me oh yeah pat barber and chris spieler oh my god sprinting for their lives at the end of some event and then pat risking it all to like dive headfirst essentially across the finish line uh that was one thing and then they also they were trying to do the 360 pull-up do you remember that oh yeah they were trying to do a pull-up and then jump off the bar and do a 360 in the air and grab it back again we ended Man, up finishing like the tug of war, actually. The, the, the final event was a tug of war. But just to kind of highlight what you're talking about, if people haven't seen this, this event, like 
there's a team USA event that I competed in years ago where I finished with these box jumps and thrusters to beat this. Uh, I don't even remember who it was I was competing against. That one stands out in my mind for me personally as like something where like, it was just right there neck and neck. But as far as like visually seeing a finish that I thought was so impressive, it was these two guys. They run up a hill. They were doing something. They run up a hill. But man, when they came back, I mean, literally just like diving to the finish. It was incredible. That one stands out for me. And then the other one is Tommy Hackenbrook at regionals with the pull-up. Something, it was a really super sprinty event. And I just remember it was like the pull-ups and then there was a sprint down the field. And it was probably the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life when Tommy Hackenbrook was at his absolute fittest and biggest. And I just remember him like barreling down the lane to the finish line. Uh, That was a pretty iconic one as well. It's just splitting you guys up into two teams and make you throw down grid style. You guys remember grid? Oh man, yeah. <laughs> grid last. Did you ever have any grid contracts come across your desk, Jason? I did. Probably yeah. plenty. Yeah, I had a couple of teams who wanted to sign, and uh, I didn't go that route. Uh, and I'm 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 pretty happy I didn't actually. Man, so bizarre. I um I I, I tried a couple of times to like even just understand it, and it just yeah. You anyway, know what? That was a good example. Of, and this is, this is just my perspective. So I don't want to like, this is my take on it. Tony budding uh, was a really integral part of CrossFit for a while with them in particular on the media side of the house. And for those people who don't know his contributions, he did make quite a bit of contributions. I used to go up to his house and go film tutorials and he was on, you know, seminars and whatnot, but Obviously, he had some type of falling out with HQ that I'm not familiar with, but I looked at it when he started the grid league. He started it a little bit out of spite, and it was a good business lesson for me to see from the outside that when you start a business, you shouldn't start the business with the intention of trying to outdo another business or, or, or crush another. You should just go out there and, and do what's best for you and your business and and stay tunnel vision on how do you become successful for yourself. And I think it was, maybe I'm just, I'm just reading between the lines, but when they started off at Madison square gardens, it just was too big, too fast. They didn't take the time to grow it from a grassroots into something special. I think that's ultimately why it failed. Yeah. uh, The grid league is a really interesting, I don't want to say case study, but it also like, there's a lot of stuff that uh, went into that. And this whole idea that, fitness can be a, um, viewed sport, right? Fitness can be a sport that the general public is going to take interest in. I think that that's, that's what they were banking on, right? Like they were getting, trying to take what was happening into games and all this uh, really special, these special moments for this like really super interested niche audience and translate that out to the wider general public. And of course the games is broadcast on you know, it was broadcast on ESPN and a whole bunch of networks had featured it in smaller bits and pieces. But I kind of want to ask you guys, what's your opinion? Will fitness or competitive fitness as a sport ever really transcend into the mainstream where it's widely accepted as like, hey, I'm watching these people this weekend with my buddies eating some wings and some pizza? I, so I think it can, but I think that it's less about like finding the format of the sport of fitness to do it. And it's more about like building the personalities that make you want to like watch the sport, right? Like I think about the WWE, the WWE is huge and everyone knows that it isn't real. 
and that it's not competitive. Like, it's not the fact that like these two guys are stepping in the ring and it's the best wrestler that's going to come out. It's entertainment. And I'm not saying that the CrossFit games events aren't very real and very like real tests of fitness. I just think that elevating the personalities, like giving, you know, a, a good guy, a bad guy, like just putting out content that, you know, makes these people, people that people either want to cheer for or cheer against is what I think can really kind of elevate the sport to something that people want to follow on like a bigger scale. Because I think watching people exercise on its own, it's just, it's, it's, it's never gonna, it's never gonna have that impact. Well, I just want to highlight back to the rogue invitational for a second. I know we kind of pivoted to the, again, faster, uh, rogue comp, but it was a phenomenal event MDV. I mean, and, and for anybody who wasn't there, I mean, it was incredible. I don't know how many people there were there. Um, tens of thousands. I mean, a lot of people, I mean, it was, it was a lot of people. Um, you know, they had a couple million or whatever it was, uh, YouTube views, if I'm not mistaken, but they put on a really professional event. The volunteers did an incredible job. The, the staff did an incredible job. It was, it was on point, but here's what I think they did better than anybody else I've ever seen. Three things. Number one is they made the events as exciting as you can. I think that they, they took that into consideration with Spiel and Froning, um, programming where it wasn't necessarily a test of fitness as a games are, but it's more of a test of fitness within a Coliseum that you could control some of the narrative and the events and keep them exciting. So I thought they did a great job there. Number two, they got the athletes paid big pay. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, I can only imagine if back in my prime competing, dude, the winner almost took home $300,000. That's a lot of money for a non-games event. And, and then Strongman was the largest prize purse in Strongman history. And so that brings me to my third point, where I think they did really well, is they're bringing together the Iron Games. That's what they're doing really well. So they have the Strongman. They have the CrossFit style. And I think what they're doing is they're bridging the gap between those two communities and becoming the voice of kind of like strength and conditioning, which I think is going to lead to something really special in the future. Well, I mean, that's a really smart strategy to, to take another niche community that's somewhat closely related and pull it in where you can get some kind of bleed over over viewership right like you can get people who might be interested in whether it's olympic lifting or strongman to potentially watch some people who are doing crossfit or gpp style events and then vice versa as well i think the um that that to me is not a bridge too far i think that the the idea that fitness will ever kind of transcend into the mainstream, I don't know whether or not that's going to happen in my lifetime. Um, and I think that what Gabe said there at the end where you're like watching people exercise, that's like the huge barrier. I think that when, when a lot of people watch this stuff, they go, I don't want to sit and watch somebody else exercise. I don't even want to exercise myself. Why would I want to watch somebody else do it as opposed to like, a fight sport or like a traditional sport or something like that, where they're looking at it more as like a competition and more of a, it's kind of more of like an event that maybe they would never have an opportunity to, to kind of take part in. You know what I mean? There's a difference. Yeah. I don't know if you guys feel. I think Gabe is right though, building up the personalities and getting people excited. Cause like when I was watching it, I know a lot of these people personally, and I wanted them to thrive and do well. And uh, like I said, I think, the events at Rogue, for the most part, were exciting to watch. 
and they were visually appealing. And I think that's really important if we want the sport to become more mainstream is that no one really wants to watch someone row for three hours or whatever it may be. Otherwise they'd be a rower. But if you wanted to, the, the, the rogue event did a good job of visually appealing. They created like this hill. And so people would run up this hill. It was just really visually nice to watch. And I think as the sport continues to grow, if you want to become more mainstream, it needs to be that. Otherwise people will lose interest. Yeah. And, and to, to clarify MDB and I, I know you want to say something. I, I think that it's a really steep hill to climb to use even that strategy to get there. Because again, it's, it's, it's people working out. Like, I think that that would be the way to go, but I think that, you know, there's no way that that kind of happens overnight. Um, so just to clarify, like, I don't think that, you know, tomorrow they can, you know, have a YouTube channel for each of the like big athletes. And then overnight people are going to be like flocking to watch this thing. But I do think that if it's going to happen, that's how it happens. The other interesting thing about this, and I, I agree with you, is that like historically the CrossFit sport has been a sport of nice guys and has been a sport of camaraderie and everybody's kind of in it together and we all cheer each other on. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing. It's actually a really good thing. I think that, that there's a lot of really motivational stuff in there and community related uh, camaraderie that you can take away from that. But in just about every other sport, you see these rivalries that are either naturally created or intentionally created to get people fired up about this person is facing this person and this team is facing this team. Yeah. You have to have some different types of personalities. There's also the thing that doesn't exist in the sport of fitness. And this is kind of what I think Gridley tried to do where they get people to buy into locality loyalty where it's like, Mm. I'm a New York fan. I'm a San Francisco fan. And that did not go well as we were just talking about before with Gridley. Hey, you know, who does a really good job of that is Gordon Ryan, MDV. So in, in jujitsu, Gordon Ryan kind of like establishes himself. Is it fair to say he kind of makes, I don't know if I want to call him the villain, but he does a good job of, of making people want to watch him because I think they actually want to maybe see him lose because they don't like him, but they like him at the same time. Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah. Well, so for a- anybody, anybody who's not listening, Gordon Ryan is the hands down number one, no gi grappler in any weight class uh, in the world. And this is in the sport of Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And he kind of is taking a page out of Conor McGregor's book and Conor McGregor is taking a page out of many other people's books in the past, but you know, I think Gordon, what, what's interesting about Gordon Ryan is that, uh, and Connor uh, for a period of time is that they were both hands down the most dangerous people in the world while they were being the most controversial person at the sport at the same time. Right. And, They're backing it up. Yeah. Back and, and Gordon is light years ahead of most other people who step on the mat with him. So I think that there is this really kind of allure about him where not only is he going out there and showing complete dominance and mastery of the sport, but he's also creating all this fervor and kind of talk because he's being so over the top about it. And he's calling people out and he's talking trash on the internet when you meet him in person. And when you see him discuss the sport, he's actually a really nice guy and he's very, very knowledgeable and and very respectful, but it's part of a personality he's creating. Yeah. CrossFit games can use a little Ricky Gerard getting back in it. You know, like that's, that's the perfect 
person that I think can really bring some excitement to it. Because again, you always need someone that people love to hate, right? Like tested positive for steroids, coming back to compete, talks a bunch of shit. Like there's that video of him. I forget. He's like doing a workout and he beats like Frazier's score. And he's like, you know, like completely like going crazy about it. I don't know if you guys saw that. It, it like made the rounds a little while back. Um, like that's the kind of stuff that I think draws a lot of people in because again, it's not like they want to cheer for the guy because they actually want to see, you know, him not do well. Um, and again, you know, it's, you can think whatever you want about him specifically, but I think that that's the kind of personalities that, you know, really draw people to, to competition. Cause I agree before it's always been like a very positive, like it's yeah. always, and, and that stuff's all well and good, but man, don't we love conflict? I have a question for you guys, which uh, I might have teased at some other point in an earlier episode, may or may not have asked. But if CrossFit or any organization out there is going to crown a human being, the fittest human being on earth, does there need to be an element of combat involved in that pursuit? Not combat with weapons or anything like that, but physical hand-to-hand either catch wrestling submission grappling wrestling whatever it needs to be to crown that person the fittest i think for two reasons and number one would be that you can train all the fitness that you would ever want to train and you can lift weights and you can do all the conditioning and you can x y or z and it might put you into a better position to be successful when you step onto a mat against somebody but there is no comparison and no training for those two minutes, five minutes, whatever the round is that you can get unless you're doing that. So I think that that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it is that it's just a huge part of what I think we need to consider as, as fitness or as, as being the number one person in the world. If you're leaving, if you're going to go down the list and you're going to say, Hey, we're going to have you shoot these fake guns. We're going to have you throw softballs. We're going to have you swim laps. We're going to have you throw these hay bales. We're going to have you do all this other stuff that like you look at and you go, okay, I I can understand that, but you're going to leave out some sort of combat. Does that make sense? What do you guys think? I mean, I, I, I think I agree with you on, on paper. I really just think it comes down to like, logistics logistics. or what? Yeah. Yeah. Like in the middle of a CrossFit games, a boxing match or what? Well, I mean, well, why, I think- why couldn't you create a bracket where they're all open categories for weight, right? And there's no weight divisions in, in CrossFit. So like, why wouldn't you be able to have a grappling tournament that just levels up into the person who wins? Or I'm just kind of throwing out ideas. I haven't thought about this or like made <laughs> a, a plan on how I'm going to integrate it into the games or anything like that. But, I'm, but-, but MDB, I mean, I, I, I do agree with you. Like, I think that it, it makes a lot of sense, especially compared to some of the other things that have already been tested as something that, you know, kind of paints that picture of what we would like to call the fittest man or the fittest woman alive. I, I, I agree. Um, but again, like, yeah, I mean, how, how, how would you kind of implement? I wouldn't that? be surprised, you know, honestly, now that we're having this conversation, you know, what Dave is really good at is he tries not to make the athletes look stupid and he tries to test certain things without it being very specific to one uh, group. I'll give you an example. 
at the CrossFit Games, they did a, a paddle event. Um, I, I, but it was instead of using a specific type of paddle, they used a different type of paddle. Or they did a one-mile swim, but they wore fins. And so when you're trying to compare a mile swim time from the pros to a mile spin time of the games, you can't compare them directly. And if you, and if you could, the CrossFitter is not going to look great compared to the pros in a swim event. But if you give them fins, it's a different event. It's a, it's a slight variation. Same thing goes with like the shooting event, which hasn't happened at the games, um, but at Rogue Invitational it did. But they used an air gun and they incorporated it with a skier. It's just a different type of event, like a biathlon, um, what, the, what was the goal. I think if they try and incorporate some level of self-defense or combat, I wouldn't see that too far outside the scope. I mean, think about it. like you're you, you're right, MDV. We've done we've done um, hitting a stake in 2009 into the ground. We've done uh, throwing balls. We've done uh, obstacle courses. There's all kinds of stuff that have been done, but never has there been like a hand to hand or or like athlete on athlete uh, event. Um, and one would say, like you know who was really impressive to me, and I, I'm just gonna say it. I mean, and, and I'm. Yes, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid right now. Uh, Chandler Smith. I talked to him yesterday. So this guy comes off finishing eighth place at the Rogue Invitational. And now this weekend coming up in like three days, or, or like basically right when we're recording this, he's going to go compete in 80 CCs, which is the Abu Dhabi uh, basically championships, which is arguably the, the number one no-gi grappling event in the world. He's going to the trials in New Jersey like a week after he competed in the Rogue Invitational. Depending on how he does there, I can't think of many other athletes in the world that can go compete in the sport of fitness and then a week later go compete at the highest level in no-gi grappling. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there would be some guys and probably maybe some ladies out there who did some high school or college wrestling. You know, I think what Josh, Josh Bridges was a wrestler, yeah, he, right? Yeah, he and he, now he has a boxing background too. Yeah, so I think that there's some people who – would fare pretty well if you pin them against their competition. But talk about what would probably be the biggest fucking train wreck event to watch of all time would be to put most of these people into a three to five minute round to try to submit their opponent. It would be, it would be comical. It would be so bad to watch because imagine just even watching like three, six month, one year white belts fight each other. It's like, nonsense sometimes so to, to to have people go out there on a international stage and fight one another without any sort of training or without any sort of uh information about how to do it one it would be pretty probably pretty dangerous and reckless and number two it would be <laughs> nonsense to watch but i do yeah. think it's a really interesting question to ask it's just is like the obvious thing that's not involved well i think you're right because you're saying we're testing for fitness and should your ability in combat, right? Like I'd say boxing, jujitsu, whatever, all those, they're all, they're all part of the fitness landscape, but we talk about biking, swimming, throwing. I mean, you name it, weightlifting, climbing. I mean, there's so many things we test, but yet these are like outside the scope of that test. And I wonder if it's for the reason that you stated, like it's, it's, it, it could be dangerous for sure. And people would probably not look very prepared unless you set the tone ahead of time and said, Hey guys, like, look at Josh Bridges, um, and his boxing, um, match against Hepner. Like they had six months to prepare and they didn't look stupid. Um, I wonder what would happen if you put that out to the community, like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to incorporate something. 
Um, yeah. It's I, also I, arguably the, one of the best tests of fitness out there because it involves everything that you would need. You need to be strong. You need to be uh, aerobically uh, prepared. You need to have good flexibility, mobility, so that your any sort of joint break or anything like that is not like an immediate tap. You need to have good body awareness, kinesthetic awareness, and you're also now grappling with another human being. So yep. your you agility, know, agility, uh, flexibility, it, balance, coordination, accuracy. If all you those look at like the ten general physical skills, and you look at that compared to any form of martial arts, there's quite a few of them that are incorporated in there. Let's get Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu into the CrossFit Games right now. Yeah, is, dude, oh my God. And, and Gabe, I, I know that, you know, MDV and I are obviously, like I said, drinking the Kool-Aid because we like it. But I do think here's an interesting question for you guys. If you could bring someone to an island with you, right? And you don't know what's on the island. You don't know what tasks are going to be ahead <laughs> of you, right? Would you, you know, like, would you take someone with, like, for example, Josh Bridges, use him as an example. Former Navy SEAL, been deployed multiple times. He's a hell of an athlete. He, you know he could shoot. That's for damn sure. You know he could box. You know he's fit. Are you bringing someone like that? Or are you bringing someone who's the winner of the CrossFit Games? I, I don't know. I'm just, I think it's an interesting conversation to have. I'm bringing a farmer. I'm bringing someone that knows how to like feed themselves and grow food and See? hunt and get in. Like that, that's what I would, I mean, anyway. You're probably also going to bring someone who you might have an opportunity to reproduce with if this is, if this is right. the end of the world. Right. How many people are left on this island? Yeah. You pick another dude. And it's just like, that's the end of it. <laughs> that's the end of the world. Oh man. Dude, that's good. Dude. I like that. But I think it's a good conversation to have. And Hey, you heard it here first. If they start incorporating some form of combat <laughs> sport at the CrossFit games or any of these. And I mean, you're starting to see a little bit of it with the, um, is it called the tactical games? Um, where they're doing fitness and uh, shooting, but they're not, I don't, from what I've seen that there is no hand-to-hand -hand combat, but there is incorporated with the shooting. I haven't, haven't heard that yet. I would be surprised that within the next couple of years, you don't see a shooting event at the games. I mean, obviously Dave's very passionate about shooting and, you know, he looks at it as a vital life skill, which I agree with. Um, I could definitely see them doing something like that. And then I don't think that combat is uh, necessarily all too far off if they told people at the beginning of the training season like at the end of the crossfit games they're like hey we're going to test you in these situations you're going to have a back control and another athlete or you're going to have spider web and you have to now figure out how to either get out or get submitted yeah or you go back to old school wrestling right i yeah. mean that's one of the oldest sports of all time so Catch wrestling yeah that could be a that could be a great addition to the sport of fitness long term um you guys who knows you guys brought this up in this conversation a couple of times and it, it it's the one thing that sticks out to me as, as probably the biggest obstacle for this to ever happen. And it's the fact that, you know, a lot of the events that they're taking place in, there's a danger element to it, right? You can pop an Achilles, you can do whatever, doing box jumps, you can hurt your shoulder doing a muscle up. But I think that once there's another person that is the one responsible for the danger element to that event, I think things get really dicey, right? Because if you're not going to have weight classes, like is Chandler Smith responsible for possibly, you know, tweaking something on the person that he wrestles with just because they weren't prepared or vice versa. You guys talk about this all the time. Like the problem with white belts, like if you have people out there that are really strong, really motivated and have no idea what they're doing, like how do you in any way make sure that 
they don't go out there and hurt someone just because they're going too hard and don't know what they're doing. Um, I, I don't see. Yeah, imagine boxing. Wait, imagine you- like a giant guy, like when he's like Jason, Hep- like, like a, a Jason Hop- Hop- Hopper, Hopner. Uh, I mean, dude, there's some big CrossFit Who? games. Out <laughs> Did J- you just make uh, up an athlete? <laughs> no, I just want to make sure. Jason J- Hopner? J- Jason Hopper. <laughs> uh, dude, this guy is like six foot two. He's big. He's huge. He's a big guy. He's big. But he's the new guy that, that Frazier is, is working with, right? Like yeah. Frazier's like training him. But he's big, dude. He's like six one, six two, big. And if he's boxing against, I don't know, someone – it could, you're right. The, the, the risk of injury could be really big. So, I mean, that's definitely a factor that needs to be considered. I don't know if that's just what it is. Cause you can make the same argument, right. That if an event has handstand pushups, it's going to favor a smaller guy or, or vice versa. Right. If it's a heavy lifting. Yeah. Event, but, but what, what I'm mean? saying, but what I'm saying is that like your handstand pushups can't injure the person right. next to you. Right. I think that that's what gets dicey, right? It's, it's like, whatever you get yourself into is going to impact you and you alone. I think that what gets dicey is again, the fact that like you're either inexperienced strength or experience can now injure someone else. Um, so I, mean, I, I, you, I, I don't know. You, you do have a tinge of that in some of the, you know, the biking events that they had over the years at the CrossFit games, you know, they're, they're putting people out there on high speed bikes uh, to go either around laps of the stadium or, you know, across that Trek track that they had. And you have now an opportunity to interact with the other athletes in a way that you probably didn't have to interact with them in like a Fran style event where it's just you versus the barbell and the pull-up bar. Right. Um, I think it comes down to just athlete responsibility and preparedness. You know, I think it would be irresponsible for them to put this into the games without giving people a heads up that this is coming, that this is actually going to be an event that we're going to test you in. Um, but then, you know, once you enter the arena, I think that it's the athlete responsibility to, Hey, if you, if you're in danger of getting injured and you feel that you're going to be submitted, then you should tap or you should submit, you know, that there's that level of it too. But then you also have to accept a kind of a level of, uh, acceptable risk that you're going into this event with. And I don't know if that's really, it could be higher than like a bike event, but that bike event, it's pretty dicey, man. Like well, using the swim as an example. So I'll give you an example. I was ready. I was in the CrossFit games when they introduced the first swim event. And when they introduced it, they did give us like, if I'm not mistaken, like a month heads up. And we went, um, in the ocean, which is a, a much different experience than a lake as, as you guys know, or, or a pool. And, but they gave us a heads up and they gave us fins and so that was an example of CrossFit trying to test a new area, but doing it in a way that was as responsible as possible. They gave you a little bit of a heads up and they gave you fins, which as you guys know, make a big difference in the water. I don't know how they could start trending that way on combat sports, but that's way I think it could be incorporated in the future is uh, like you said, MDV. I, I, I actually, now the more we're talking about this is actually getting me kind of excited to see if it can transfer there because the games are constantly evolving and their, their goal is to test the fittest. And they add different events every year to try and get there. Who knows? We'll see. Arguably also could be the most exciting event of the entire weekend. Because now you're starting to create these rivalries where you have intense competition that most people would watch and go, I understand what those two people are doing. They are fighting to see who's going to submit the other person. As opposed to watching 
the gen, you put the general, you put a general viewer in front of like most CrossFit events and they're going to go, I kind of understand what's going on maybe, but there's really no arguing what's happening. If you have two people in a circle and you're going, all right, you have five minutes to figure out who wins. Hey, it's getting very squid games here. Uh, I'm going to, my hot hot take is that I, I I don't think it's going to happen. Yeah. I I don't think, I don't think you'll ever see like one-on-one combat sports in the CrossFit games or in the rogue imitation or any of these events, but I could be wrong, but I, I I just, I think it's very unlikely, but it's fun to talk about. It's fun to, fun to think about. I don't think it's completely outside the realm of possibility. I think that there would be a ramp up to it though. Like, uh, Hey, prepare, prepare yourself for this rule set and understand these techniques are available and these techniques are not available. Dude, maybe we should create the NC fit games and it should be not, <laughs> not, not NC fit games, but the NC fit oh. tournament. And it could be like seven events, five fitness, two combat related. Ooh. Anyways. I think there's we're still an idea recovering from the idea fit barbell. So, oh, dude, the barbell. yeah, <laughs> we're still dude. recovering from that. Might have to edit that part out. Uh, <laughs> Jay, I, I have a question for you uh, about Rogue Invitational. Um, you know, I, I was super fortunate um, to spend some time, you know, at Jay with, with Jay at lunch. And um, Rich was there, Josh Bridges was there, you know, Hillary Froning was there, and Ashley was there. They hadn't seen each other for a long time. You know, it was cool to see you guys interact as, you know, like old time friends and just kind of like shoot the shit and really the nostalgia of like past events. And remember when we did this, remember when we did that, you know, how, how was it for you to kind of connect with those guys in such a long time? And does it ever make you miss like competing back in the day and kind of how it was and how much it changed? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously we got to hang out. I mean, I spent quite a bit of time with Rich and Josh and Dan, actually, we had dinner with him too, but um, I also spoke to Matt Chan for a long time about hunting, which I was really interested in his take on. But I think, um, do I miss it? Yeah, I, I think I knew at the time though, when we were competing that those were some really cool moments and life evolves and, and, and but in that moment, we knew it was, it was, it was cool, but there was a lot of stress that came with it. One thing's for sure. Rich Froning is extremely fit right now. Extremely fit. Um, he tested some of the quarterfinals, semifinals, and I wouldn't be surprised if he could get, I'd love to see him compete as an individual again. Cause I think he could do really, really well, but I know he's not, he's not going to do that, but it was good to catch up with those guys and talk about it and reminisce a little bit, talk about some times, but also just hear about what they have going on currently. Right. Talk about the farming, talk about the coffee, talk about what Josh has going on. And it's not better or worse. It's just a different type of conversation. Back then you're talking about, Hey, how are we going to win this event? Now it's like, Hey, Josh, what's going on with you? How's your, you know, how's your coffee company going? How's this going? And having more of a human conversation versus just specifically about the sport of fitness. So yeah, I enjoyed catching up with them though, for sure. Talk about one thing that could probably draw me out of the, I don't have an interest in watching competitive fitness anymore for the rest of my life. Uh, conversation would be if rich and matt step back on the floor as individuals like if they if they both were going to go on to the floor as an individual competitor 
I would 100% watch that. 100%. And I, you know, I'm so freaking lucky that over my career, I've got to go to so many CrossFit games, I think like seven or eight CrossFit games and tons of regionals and have seen a lot of events. I'm kind of desensitized to it. in a fact where it's like, I've been through this. I, I don't necessarily have to watch what's going on or feel like I want to watch what's going on. But if those two guys were like, yep, we're going at it this year and talk about something that would create crazy amounts of buzz for the entire community would be. Well, so yeah. I agree with you. I think it would create a ton of buzz. So I'm sitting there. Um, I was watching uh, the events with uh, uh, Frazier. So this is like the inside scoop. Okay. So I'm watching the events with Frazier and I was like, Hey man, like, have you ever thought about doing the legends thing? Just like, as like a kind of, you know, just like a low key, right. Uh, in that particular case, there was no one-on-one -on -one competition. It was pretty low key. He goes, he goes, the only way I will ever get back out on the floor for any reason is if it was for a giant charity event. That was the only thing he said. Like, and it, and it would have to be giant, he said. Um, I said, okay, cool. So I don't know if you're going to get him. And then you talk to Froning. He's like, look, man, like, I'm, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to compete as an individual again. And I, I think both of them, yes, I would love to see that. But I also think Froning... I think Froning has a higher likelihood of going individual than Frazier does going back into the games at all of any type. I got to tell you, it was the first legends event that you guys did was fun to watch because of like the, sure. the, like exactly what was happening in the beginning. So for anyone that didn't watch, I'll give you the really quick bullet points. So it's Josh Bridges and Jason Kalipa and Miko Salo and Rich from, and there's obviously a bunch of other teams, but they're both really close and leading. And Jason and Josh have like a lead the entire way. And they even start pulling away just a smidgen. And the announcer starts to call that out. Like, oh, you know, NorCal, Jason and Josh like pulling away. And all of a sudden, dude, Rich just goes into like full Rich mood mode when they got to the heaviest barbell, the 185. And like- He was going two for one. He was doing two to one rep of Miko. Oh, for lack of like a better term to describe it, he like pushed Miko Salo aside and was like, we're not losing this. And like bridged the gap and, and, and eventually pulled out a win. But it was funny to watch too, Jason and Josh kind of like catch wind of the fact that they were getting caught up and just like ended up going so much more, like so much harder than they expected to in the beginning. It was, it was really fun to watch. Well, no, so we were talking some crap behind uh, – we were talking a little bit of crap behind the scenes, right? And what Froney said, and I think he's full of it. He said that when he heard that I did eight reps in a row on the, on the clean, that he knew that I, we were going for blood. And so it, he, he wanted to turn it on. That's what he said. He said it was our fault that he went so fast. <laughs> it was your fault. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, bro, get out of here. You started it. You started, you started it. Right? <laughs> but I'll tell you the event that uh, him and I, dude, he, he was – he messed with me a little bit. I, I think I messed with him a little bit. We'll see the time when we tell right before the, the, the second event, which is the bike thruster. I told him, I was like, Hey man, I'm just letting you know, my goal is to beat you on the thrusters and the bike. That's it. After the bike, I'm basically just going to stand there and recover. He had another set of thrusters, but it was irrelevant the way this, the, the event was structured. And just between us, maybe I got in his head a little bit because he had Julie Fouché go first. I mean, <laughs> maybe, maybe it was that, maybe it was that <laughs> probably wasn't, but maybe it was. Oh Anyways. man, too good. Uh, yeah. Too good.
it was, it, it was a it was a fun event, man. It was it was cool to see everyone. You know, one thing that I thought was interesting, and Jason, I'm I'm curious your thoughts because I know you talked to a bunch of the athletes and spent some time in, in the warm up area. I forgot who mentioned this, but they mentioned that like the vibes amongst the athletes were a little bit less like super do or die competitive, which I think is interesting because like you said, the prize purse was so big. Like, did you feel like it was a little bit more low key for the Tia's of the world? Um, or do you feel like, you know, everyone still came out to, to, to play? Because I mean, like you said, $300,000 is $300,000. Yeah. I mean, Pat Villner and I were talking about this and he just came off the games. Right. And they have to be really sensitive to the way they peak and what their goals are and how they're trying to accomplish it and whatnot. For Vellner, he knew he was really fit, but he said he wasn't at his fittest, but that he also knew that no one there was at their fittest because people came off the games and tried to recover a little bit. And this right. is not far off from where the, when the games were. And so I think everybody kind of knew they maybe weren't at their peak peak, but I think everybody was trying to win. Um, the only vibe that I felt, you know, in the, in the back, there was definitely a difference in, and we'll see what happens in the sport with coaches, you know, back in the day, there wasn't as many athletes that had like a specific coach that did everything for them, right? Maybe you'd have a coach that would come and support you on conditioning, or maybe you'd have a coach who would come and talk about nutrition, but now you have a coach. that's like your, like your corner for lack of better term in a boxing match. Like this person is there giving you, Hey, this was 30, this person did this in 30 seconds. You should try and do it this way, this way, this way. You have people even out there looking at the previous heats, timing what people were doing and then relaying that information to the athlete. Right. So the, the game has changed. And I think what does change a lot is what's going to happen with coaches and who's going to be the standout group. And are people going to start training with other people with the same coach, or are they going to look at it as a disadvantage because now that same coach is working with other of their athletes that they're competing against. So a lot of shakeup in the sport that I'm curious to see what happens in the future. Well, I mean, that's, that's a good segue. And I don't know how much longer you guys want to chat here, but um, obviously, you know, Katrine David's daughter moving away from working with Ben um, big deal, you know, really well-known coach Ben Bergeron in the space, really well-known athlete. They've been together for, I think, you know, they put a post seven years. Yeah. So, I mean, she's been with him for a while and she's moving my understanding is back, back to Iceland train with Annie. I don't know who the actual coach is, but um, it's, it's interesting. Yami. You brought that up. It's Yami. It's the same coach that Annie's had for years. Got and it. Frederick and Frederick uh, Annie's husband is also, you know, they're all kind of tight. Yeah. I think that's a really interesting question. You know, not, not necessarily what the, I, the, the sophistication of the sport is very interesting to talk about where it's like, you know, many years back at Aromas when it was a, you know, barnyard barbecue, essentially, there was none of that. It was just like, let's just try to do this event and really figure it out on the fly. Now you have a level of sophistication where people are timing transitions of other athletes in previous seats, and they're looking at how people are doing things and all this kind of stuff. And that makes sense. It makes logical sense for me that that would happen. The, the interesting thing, I think, though, is this idea of this is an open field competition where you have, if you have two ladies or two men who are both in that uh, individual category coached by the same person, they're competing against one another. Like it, only one person can win. So there is necessarily a conflict between, in my opinion, how much attention and how much strategy you can share between these two athletes and, until you reach a breaking point in which you go, 
all right, well, now you have to do it against one another. So kind of figure it out. I, I don't know how to balance that line. It's not my job to balance that line or, or walk that line, but I do see it as an issue where it's like, if I have five athletes who are all in the same event category, same field, how am I giving them advice to differentiate between all five to get one to win? Seems tough. Yeah, I, th I think the, the logical athlete would have to ask himself a very simple question. Let's just say you went with, um, uh, I don't know, for, for the sake of argument, um, Facundo is starting to coach athletes out of the CrossFit Mayhem platform. He's coaching uh, three, four male athletes, right? You'd have to ask yourself, if by me having this coach or having the same programming as these other athletes allows me to know their times, allows me to know what they're doing, allows me to be in a competition group setting that raises me up above anywhere I could possibly be. Even if I have my own coach in my own area, then it's worth it. And then when I get to the event, I just got to go out and perform. Or am I actually putting myself in a disservice? Cause now all that same information is being disseminated. And I think athletes need to make that decision for themselves. I, it's a very tough decision. Let me ask you a question. Let's, let's pretend there was a, a coach back in the day who was coaching you as an individual athlete, just you. And they were like, Jason, we are going to win the games together. You'd be like, all right, I can fucking wrap my mind around that. Let's do this. Right. But let, let's say that he goes, Hey, I'm also going to coach Neil Maddox and I'm also going to coach Josh Bridges and I'm also going to coach whoever else. What would your mindset be now in working with that person? It, even yeah. just given that information, would be you be down tough. for that? So like Hinshaw, for example, you know, I introduced him to a lot of these people because it didn't really affect me. Meaning, Hey, go help the sport, right? Go. And I wanted to see Hinshaw thrive, but that's one coach in one specific, in a specific area. area. Now, if this is like your, your like person, right? The, the person, male, female, that's like carrying your bag at events or whatever it is, right? I think that would change. Now, in, in my particular case, I think training with Neil Bannix and Garrett Fisher in particular and, and many others really helped my game. And I created the programming that most of us did on a regular basis. And we just all did it together. So it helped us raise the bar. But I don't know what it would have been like, like Austin Begeving, for example, was my coach in the very, very beginning. And then also for our team, which is fine. I don't know how I would have felt if Austin was my personal coach and also personal coach for his other athletes, especially at regionals where you're only taking three or five people. It'd be really, really weird. Um, that's a great question, MDV. I, I, I think it's tough. I even see a distinction between training with these people leading up to the event and then having the same coach as them in the event. I think yeah. that there's a, there's, a, there's a line there, right? Like you could theoretically go through your training and have some parts of it, and you probably should, include a field of competitors who are fitter than you or just as fit to push you to a level that you need to get to, right? And that to me is, okay, I understand that. But then to have the same person look at you, look at Neil, look at Josh. And then how, how can you say, I want you to win when you also want that person to win and that person to win. It's just like, everybody does want everybody to do their best. That doesn't seem like a great strategy. Yeah, I think, it, I think it comes down to what, weird. what you said MDV though. I think that it's, it's the, the training environment, bigger impact than the coach, like the specific coach and programming. Um, but I agree with you that, but then, yeah, once day one of the game starts, like, 
you kind of want to have like your coach is your coach, right? Like we're talking strategy. We're talking like how the points add up, the events that are coming out that, that to me is where it does get weird where it's like, all right, well, you know, you are here and you are here and we're having either the talk together or separately, which I think is even weirder. Yeah. Yeah, Like imagine the back, right. You got like three of your athletes and you're like, you're like, you know, John's over here, Jason's over here and someone else over there. And you're like talking to them and walking over, talk to the other person. This is what, yeah. But, but that's where the sport's going to have to evolve to is, is what's going to happen. Um, you know, I'm in particular after this weekend, I, I was actually, I would be interested in coaching somebody. I don't know why I, I, I would, I would be interested to see, um, but we got to find the right person in, in the, in the Bay area, which, but it's intriguing to me. One oh, person. man, that's, that's the open call, open call right there. One you person. heard it on the podcast. If oh, you are good. games fit and want to coach Jason Kalipa has one opening and one opening only. I have I have one last uh, one last thing to say about this because I, I we probably are not going to bring it up next week if we talk again but it almost seems like this system of coaching multiple athletes at the highest level in in the games. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to call anybody out. I'm not trying to talk bad about anybody. But it almost seems like if I'm an outside observer it almost seems like it benefits the coach more than it benefits the athlete. You could make that argument because there's real life-changing money and opportunity on the line for the athlete who wins and they only have one fucking ticket to the lottery and it's them. Right. But then if you're a coach and you have five tickets to the lottery and then one of your athletes wins, you get to hitch your wagon to that athlete and say, Hey, I coached somebody to win this competition. And you now have the added benefit of saying all those things that come along with it. You don't win the money obviously, but you get, a lot of the recognition, the accolades, you get attention from the community. It's a very interesting thing to think about. Yeah, I think it's going to create, I think it has created a little bit of controversy in the past, going to continue to create more. We start saying, hey, this person has their training program. I'm out there as a beacon for it. What is the give and take? And I think athletes and coaches need to make sure they have that tough conversation. Otherwise, you'll see relationships split apart, right? It's got, it has to be mutually beneficial. And if the athlete feels that way and the coach feels that way, everybody's winning. But I think for a while, the pendulum did swing towards the coach a little bit. And, and, and now I think the, there needs to be more consideration on both sides personally. Yeah. I think this is where some of the, the rah, rah camaraderie stuff, which is great. Like I said, in some regards, because it's cool to see people cheering for each other on the floor and all that good stuff. But I think this is some of the, it comes back to that a little bit where it's like, if you were a, if you were coaching the new England Patriots, you wouldn't also be coaching the jets. Like it doesn't, it doesn't fucking make sense. It makes no sense whatsoever, but anyway, it's true. Yeah. I mean, you could say that, you know, the fact that, you know, when there's that person that's wrapping up the heat and it's the last one and all the competitors go to go cheer for them, you could say that, you know, that's, that's not doing the sport any favors, right? Like maybe you do need someone that like, you know, just, goes out and is like, Hey, I beat everyone. And that's it. You know, talks a little bit of trash and just steps off the floor. Um, you know, that could give the personalities and, and, and the, the edge that I think the sport could benefit a little bit to really give it some popularity, but you know, that goes against everything that, you know, it's been celebrated for to get to this point. So it's interesting. It's interesting. It is. It is. Well, guys, I loved talking about, uh, I mean, quite a, quite a few things today. Uh, 
And as per usual, we'll catch up again next week. Um, any final thoughts here, MDV? Whoa, you know, we got NC Flex uh, just dropped. If it, you, Look, the feedback has been incredible, right? I mean, oh, man. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, all, no I'm already I'm already getting getting huge over here. I'm on day three. Are your First biceps already grown an inch? Is that what it is? They're gonna look like yours soon, big guy. Oh, no, man. I don't think that that's possible. <laughs> no, it's a fun program, man. It's um it's been interesting to experiment with this type of fitness. You know, I think that after doing GPP and CrossFit style workouts for, gosh, 12, 13 years plus, it I wanted to be able to still experience some of that, but also have parts of my life that I was able to add to and not have the same kind of intensity in the, in the gym that uh, I was accustomed to for that many years. You know, one of the things I look back on in like this journey of, of GPP and CrossFit is like, I did a lot of that fitness just to get better at that fitness. And you can step outside of the gym and take your GPP and go and do things like mountain biking and running and climbing and jujitsu. But there's a level of intensity that happens in the gym for some of these workouts. It's tough to often get out and do other stuff after that. So, you know, NC flex is a program that is all about functional strength and bodybuilding. The workouts are going to be tough. They're not super easy, but we're also taking a level of the intensity out of it. And we're looking to utilize this program to hit certain goals outside of the gym, but also hit certain aesthetic goals. And I want to look good. I want to feel good. I want to be able to go into Brazilian jiu-jitsu and perform well there. And uh, this is just a style of training right now that I'm doing more often and still adding in a couple of GPP workouts a week. Love it. I mean, I, I don't think they're easy at all. Uh, oh, they're very know, tough. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yes, you're not doing three, two, one for time and there isn't a time that you have to be whatever, but yeah, man. I mean, it's, it's, I needed the rest day today, but it's been fun, man. I'm, I'm really enjoying them. Hell Yeah. Make sure if you want to check out NC Flex, if you're a gym owner, I think it's a phenomenal program to incorporate during open gym. Uh, it could be a class, but I think it's a really good open gym model. And then if you're an athlete in your garage at the gym training, make sure you check out the NC Fit app. We talk about this a lot, but the guys and I, we are very, very passionate about bringing quality coaching, quality training to as many people as we can who want to put in the effort. And uh, if you haven't checked out those tools, make sure you check out the NC Fit app. Make sure you check out the NC Fit Collective. Gentlemen, I appreciate both of you guys. We got some calls to jump on today. I think we covered some great stuff. Can't wait for next week to go ahead and smash another one of these episodes. Hell yeah. That's right. Thanks, guys.